Well, again, uh, for those of you who are maybe visiting with us, uh, Pastor Eric Davis um, is on a little sabbatical for the month of July and a little bit into August. And so throughout uh, the month, we are privileged to hear from some a few other uh, preachers from around uh, the country uh, and uh, really from uh, other countries as, uh, from this morning. Um, and so actually this morning we have Pastor Anton Van Stratten. Is that, I'm not sure how, if that's how you pronounce that. But he serves currently as the discipleship pastor at Faith Evangelical Free Church in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, as you will hear, he is not from North Dakota. He grew up in Pretoria, um, South Africa, I believe that's correct, and then moved, moved to Los Angeles in 2005, is that correct, to study at the Master Seminary, and that's where he met uh, Pastor Eric, and many of you remember Brian Chassard as well, and we became acquainted with, with Anton um, just through the ministry of, uh, of, of Masters, and we've just been, um, especially with Pastor Eric, been friends with Anton, been catching up with his ministry, and and, uh, and just really friends of the church um, since about 2000, since we planted in 2008, 2009. So we were privileged to hear, have you come bring us the word this morning. I'm truly blessed to be here and to see what happened with the little church plant that started, what, in 2010. Um, interesting, Eric was looking for people from his Bible study and colleagues from seminary to come and do a church plant out here in Jackson Hole. And my wife and I, we were like, yeah, it's, it's, we can do it, but snow, we from Africa, we, we don't know things like snow and, you know, negative temperatures, we don't know that. So we're not going to come out here, and uh, as God's sense of humor has it, I'm living in Grand Forks, North Dakota now, so uh, you just have to roll with the punches, uh, but, you know, that too has many blessings, and uh, thank you for having me here this, uh, this morning. I want to share a little bit. Uh, I, I do love and appreciate nature. Last night I went over to Jonathan um, Robinson, right? That's your last name, right? And I'm sitting there having supper with them, and I'm looking out of his dining room window, and I'm like, if I take a picture of this, I can make a postcard and make money out of this. This is how beautiful this place is. And, uh, and certainly when uh, my first pastorate after seminary was at a place near Lassen Volcanic National Park. It, it's truly spectacular. Not as spectacular as the Grand Tetons, but there was this contrast between beauty of nature and the destructive forces of a volcano. Truly spectacular. And so it was, my first summer there, people started disappearing. And I'm like, man, am I, am I such a bad preacher? You know, what's going on here? You know, don't people understand my accent? What's going on here? But in any case, uh, after a few weeks of not seeing this one family, I inquired and I said, you know, was there anything I did that upset you? Is my preaching that bad? What is it? And they said, no, no, pastor, no problem at all uh, with you. In fact, we are just doing fine. Spiritually, we are doing just great. You see, pastor, each summer we take our trailer and we park it there close to Lassen Volcanic uh, Volcano, uh, close to the park. 
And we spend our weekends there all through the summer. But this is the best time of the year because we grow so much spiritually there because we sit out there and look at nature, look at the birds and everything, and we get to know God in a very deep and profound way. And I'm like, wow, I can't compete with that, you know. We have, you know, old church building, you know, boring preachers, stuffy building, things like that, you know. But a little later on, I had another person come up to me and she said to me, Pastor, we're going to be gone for the fall. You won't see us, uh, but, uh, you know, we're going to drive cattle from the hills and um, we're going to be out there with the horses and the cattle and nature and all those good things. But rest assured, we're going to get to know God in a very deep and profound way out there. And I go, wow, I can't compete with that. But no doubt, God's creation does reveal something about the character of God. There's something about nature that touches us in a deep and profound way. However, getting to know God through nature, or any other means for that matter, can be very self-limiting. In fact, I think it's wishful thinking. And at best, it is what Paul calls self-styled religion. As we turn to the letter of Paul to Colossians, I will show you exactly what I mean. Paul addresses people here in a church that claim to know God in a very deep and profound way. These later on became known as the Gnostics. These are people... Uh, who searched for God and got to know God in a cryptic way, in a mystical way. Their search was for these deeper spiritual truths so that they can get to know God in a deep and profound way. The Gnostics boasted that they had this deeper knowledge of God. Perhaps, maybe on a good Sunday, one of the Gnostics came up to the pastor and said, Pastor, don't worry about us. We are doing just fine in our own way. We are getting to know God in a deep and profound way. And Paul's response would be as follows. If you look there at Colossians 2, verse 23, that would be his response to this self-made, self-styled religion where people claim to know God in a deep and profound way. He says there in verse 20, these are matters having to be sure a word of wisdom or the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. But it has no value against the indulgences of the flesh. So Paul says, you know, if you kind of want to get to know God on your own terms, it's going to be self-limiting, self-defeating, and it's nothing other than self-made religion. And so what Paul develops for us here in the book of Colossians, and beginning in the first chapter, he, he starts addressing people who know things about God, but they don't seem to understand it. And I'll get into that a little bit. He also deals with people who like accumulating religious truths. 
and spiritual knowledge, but it seems to have little impact and bearing in their daily living. And then thirdly, Paul is addressing people here who claim to know God in a deep and profound way, but they do so in their own way. And that is what Paul terms here as self-styled religion or self-made religion. So let's read here in, uh, in Colossians 1.9. And I'm going to read here from verses 9 to 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened in all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light." Growing in one's knowledge of God is Paul's point here. He pinpoints us to verse 10 here. The, the culmination of everything is knowing God. Look there in verse 10, the last phrase there. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 9, Paul deals with uh, this learning of God's will. And then he also wants us to be living God's will. Verse 10. Verse 9 is that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then if you go to verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So there's this learning aspect and this living aspect. And by now you should guess the title of my message is Learning and Living. I think people would agree that there is a difference between knowing something and understanding something. There's one sense uh, that we can have a theoretical knowledge or understanding of something, but then there's also this practical understanding. Paul is all about learning God's will here. But we got to understand that learning about God does not necessarily translate it into knowing God. We can learn about God, yet we do not know God. And certainly, it might not translate into knowing God in a more deep and profound way. Let me show you two steps from this passage. Here's two steps into knowing God. And I'm not talking knowing God in the way of salvation. I'm talking about knowing God in a deep and profound way. There's two steps and a result. The first step is learning God's will. If you look at verse 9, it speaks about learning God's will. Verse 10 speaks about doing God's will or living God's will. And then the result is growing in God's will and especially there in knowing who he is and knowing him personally and deeply and intimately. The point here is that like the Colossian church and like Cornerstone, we have to treasure learning. 
We have to treasure learning spiritual things, and we got to encourage this deep diving into theology and doctrine. Is that what you guys do here? Do you study the Bible? I, I believe so. I know with a guy like Eric, he will expect that, and he deep dives into the Word of God. But the question remains is how much of that learning actually translates into daily living? How much of that gets kind of just mixed into daily life? Let me show you about learning God's will here, verse 9. Learning about God's will. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, Paul is praying here for the new believers that they will be what? Filled with the knowledge of his will. In what way? In a way that manifests in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's unpack this for you. I don't see a clock anywhere. Is that a clock back there? I don't know. But um, just, just wave, you know, when, you, when I go over time. Uh, the other day I preached at a church and there was a, a countdown, like five minutes, four minutes. And I don't know, I just started. I'm just in my introduction here. And you're like, I, I need to wrap it up. Okay. First thing here. The word Filled. Paul wants the people here to be saturated with biblical truth. He says that in Colossians 3.20, let the words of Christ richly dwell in you. He prays that they will be saturated with biblical truth. And that comes through learning. But, but then he narrows the learning. What, what is it about? And he says there, God's will. Now, God's will can be everything in scriptures, but Paul is specifically uh, saying, let's focus on those aspects of God's will as it impacts our conduct and character in daily living. Because verse 10 clues us into that, to please him in every good work. And so the plan here is to know how God wants us to live as Christians. Paul says, you got to have that down. That's got to be in your mind and you got to be saturated with how God wants us to live. Then the third set of words here is a unbreakable chain. It's a pearl string of some sorts in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there's learning, this gathering of information, this absorbing of information of how God wants us to live. But he says this got to manifest in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And those two words are unbreakable. It's an unbreakable change, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Firstly, the first word there, wisdom, is sophos. 
And this is, of course, in contrast with worldly wisdom or the philosophical wisdom of Colossians 3.8. It's also in contrast with the self-made wisdom uh, spoken about in Colossians 2.23. This is the wisdom that is uh, reminiscent of the Old Testament wisdom, which is the consistent application of God's law and commandments. In fact, I think Paul is heavily borrowing here from the wisdom writer, Proverbs 2. If you want to go there, I want to show you a few things about the use of the word wisdom and understanding. So what Paul combines here is the word understanding, and, and, and the Greek word is sunesis, which uh, translates as understanding, or, or knowing something through experience. Uh, it's, it's speaking of practically knowing something. And here, specifically, the will of God. The will of God, as it transforms the mind, it transforms the desires and the will. And it develops the mind like a muscle. Through consistent use, will retrain the will and the desire so that one can discern things better, right from wrong and good from evil. And let me show you how, where, where I think Paul borrows from. Uh, he says there in Proverbs two, chapter 2, My son, if you will receive my word and treasure my commandments within you to make your ear pay attention to wisdom, incline your heart to discernment, for if you call out for understanding, give your voice for discernment. If you seek her as silver and search for her as his hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. You see there the, the words wisdom and understanding and discernment all woven together. And let me just give you a plain and simple illustration of knowing something and understanding something and having wisdom about something and just knowing about something. So I've got this uh, passion for fishing. I, I just, and when I heard I'm coming up here, I'm like, man, get the gear ready. Uh, I'm going to go fly fish. This is prime territory. But you know, fly fishing is actually really simple. What you do is you take a stick and you tie a string to it. And you go stand at the water and you whip the water. Oh, you've got to tie a little bug to the end of the string. And you put a hook on it so that you deceive the trout. And you whack the water like three times. And you know what happens third time? There's the fish at the end of the hook. And you're like, Anton, you know a lot about fly fishing, but it's evident you don't understand it. And yesterday, it was very evident I don't understand fly fishing. The fish have more discernment than I do. You see, we as uh, Christians uh, can end up knowing a lot of things and knowing a lot about God and yet not understand him. Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings 3.9, he says, So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. 
You see, knowing God's will and understanding God's will and applying God's will in our lives will give us this, this reflex to discern good from evil and right from wrong. And just like those, those uh, trout that's very wise, they know when to bite something and not to bite something. They know, yeah, this is going to be painful. I'm going to end up in the frying pan here. And likewise here, uh, this is the pattern in the Bible, that there's a lot of learning, a lot of studying of theological truths, and we, we observe all these things, but we think they, they end in itself when it's actually a means to an end. Isaiah 6, 9 says, go and tell this people, God says to Isaiah, go tell this people, they keep on listening, but do not perceive they keep on looking, but they do not understand why. Why? They just accumulate all this knowledge, and yet they don't seem to understand the purpose of all this knowledge about God. And the answer to the question is, they did not know how to use that knowledge. Hebrews 5.12, Paul says, oh, whoever, I just always say Paul wrote a Hebrews don't don't tell Eric but though by this time you ought to be teachers by now you, you know you know a lot you guys know a lot but he says there you know it's like you babies you 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 infantile you can't discern right from wrong you don't know how to navigate life but you've got all this knowledge and he says in verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. You're not skilled at the word of righteousness. You were an infant. You were a baby. Verse 14, But solid food is for the mature who because of practice. You do it. You use it. Have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Well, what's the key here? Not knowing a lot about God, but actually taking what you know and weave it into daily life. It then becomes something that you are skilled at and you can discern between good and evil. You ask yourselves, why in today's time is discernment so lacking? It's, it's, it's crazy, right? You, you look at... People call themselves Christians and they like, you don't show a lot of discernment here. Why do you listen to this on the radio? Why do you, you watch this guy on TV? And you quote him. Well, it's simple. They know a lot about God, but they understand very little. They've not applied what they've learned. We don't seem to see a lot of sophos and sunesis, wisdom and understanding. There's a lot of talk about learning and learning, but there is very little skill. How much of our Bible learning actually is taken into our classrooms, into our boardrooms, into our hospital rooms, into our living rooms, and even the privacy of our bedrooms? How do we connect the dots in life Biblically, is what Paul is saying here. How do you do that? Let me give you another illustration. Remember Saul, uh, uh, oh, David. 
David said, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer myself to go slay the giant Goliath. And so Saul, in his wisdom, says, come here, David, let's put a coat of armor on you. Let's give you a sword, and let's put on a helmet for you. And so he goes out to the, to the battlefield, and he looks at this. And he says something very profound. He says, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested it. So in other words, David was, was going into the battlefield with armament that he was unskilled at. He, he might have played with his dad's sword, if his dad had a sword or his dad's helmet or a coat of armor, I don't know. But David was not a foot soldier. He was not skilled in that Why? He never used it. He never applied it. He never went with his sword and did sparring with the sword. But what was he skilled at? The slingshot. He's like, I'm going to take all this stuff off. I'm unskilled in this. I've not used it before. And I'm going to get eaten up alive here by this giant if I go into combat with things that I've not used and you all know how the story ended. I heard somebody the other day say that the, um, in the ancient times, people got so skilled with the slingshots that they could take out a goose flying overhead. I mean, that's pretty skilled, right? Here's a word of advice to, to wives. You know, uh, you, uh, your husbands may be in duck hunting, uh, you know, and if they, they come to you and they're like, oh, I need a new Beretta, or I need a new uh, Benelio, some Italian-made shotgun, uh, you can just say to your husband, what do you have? And he might say, oh, I just have this El Cheapo that I got from Cabela's. And you go, well, that sounds Italian-made, isn't it? Just use your, just get skilled at what you got. You don't need another shotgun. Uh, wives will love me, men will hate me after this, but nevertheless, you're, Christians, we often walk out of a church service, a Sunday school class, even an inductive deep study in God's word. We all decked out with the helmet of truth, a sword of the spirit in the one hand, and where do we go? We dump it all in the trunk of the car, and then we navigate life on brute instincts. God's will we need to be familiar with it. And we can take it onto the battlefield of life. Let's learn something of Jesus here, the 12 year old standing in the temple. Luke 2:47 says, "And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers." People were amazed, not the great deal of knowledge Jesus had about the Bible or how much he, of Scripture he had memorized. No, what impressed the people was how Jesus could actually connect the dots. Somebody would come to him with a problem and it would take the Bible and apply it to that problem. And they like, how do you do that? 
How do you do that? It says that they were amazed at his understanding. And there again is the same word, sunesis. Same word as in Colossians. You see, Jesus had both wisdom and understanding. And why? Because as from a child onwards, he was accustomed doing God's will. John 3, 6, 38. My food is doing my Father's will. Are we hungry to do God's will? We, we, we must have this hunger of application. We must be intent on application. And this is my second uh, step here. Doing God's will. First is learning God's will. Okay. And now we got to do God's will. Paul's prayer was not merely here for intellectual knowledge or the uh, accumulation of deep theological truth, though that is important, don't get me wrong. But look at what word verse 10 begins with. It begins with the word, so that. So that. Whenever you in the Bible see the word, so that, it means this is why you do it. Why do we do? Why do we learn? So that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. The goal here is application. And Paul's prayer here and his, his theology here is not for just well-informed saints, but rather Christ-conformed saints. Greek scholar Dr. Wiest once said, right conduct must be founded on right thinking, but right thinking always needs to lead to right conduct. Doing God's will does not come at the expense of this, or even using one's intellect. But the point of all biblical truth is that it ultimately transforms our character and our conduct. It must work its way into daily living. And look at the Greek word there. Oh, you won't see the Greek word there, and I'm not trying to be a Greek scholar here, but the word worthy of the Lord, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner, what? Worthy of the Lord. The word worthy there is the Greek word axios. And what it means, it, it, it's axis. We get the English word axis from there. It's the word for scales. And so what Paul is saying is here, in all your learning, it must be balanced with a life worthy of the label Christian. And so my question to you today here, dear brothers and sisters, is how does that scale look for you? Is it like, oh, I know so much about Bible, but on the other side, I'm light when it comes to the application of the Bible? You know, often people are quick to give you biblical advice. Have you ever, oh yeah, they just fire off the verses. Theological truth. I don't know if they make that sound, but in any case, People often throw things out and you're like, you, you obviously don't understand. You just don't understand. 
have, have you ever applied this? It's not that simple. I'm not saying application is simple. I'm not saying it. But you see, we often want these mountaintop experiences as Christians. But you know where it begins? In doing God's will in the mundane things of life. Those small decisions that you make, let me please God here. Let, let me balance the scales here. Here is truth, and here is me, and, and my conduct. Is, is it a balance? Is there a balance? How much of our study of Scripture can be seen in our daily living? The 19th century bishop J.B. Lightfoot once said, the end of all knowledge is a change in one's conduct. Learning and hearing God's word must be balanced with a character and conduct that is worthy of the name Jesus Christ. Often the, we have intellectual people, inquisitive people looking into Scripture, and they can write books, and they can uh, write commentaries. They can read Greek and Hebrew. But the question is, does that life balance out worth good fruit? Look at verse 10, the end. Bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. And that's the doing aspects of God's will. It, how much fruit is there on the tree in comparison with the amount of time spent in the word of God? Don't get me wrong, dear brothers and sisters. We want you to study this word. I know, I know this is the focus of Cornerstone. I've been in a Bible preaching church for decades. And, and I've accumulated so much knowledge. It's, it's, it's crazy. But the question is, how is the fruit bearing going, Anton? We want to balance the scale here with fruit after every lecture, every sermon, every teaching, every book study, every, every class we take. Now, before I go too long, I want to just show you a, a cause and effect relationship here. There's, a, there's kind of a heartbreak here in Greek, but not so much in English. If you look there at verse uh, 10, the last two phrases there, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. That's very interesting. If you have the LSB translation, it says multiplying in the knowledge of God. There's an interesting relationship there. And this I will title the result of growing in God's will. You see the word bearing fruit. And that's a verb, it's an active verb, meaning the Christian is actively participating in the bearing of fruit. That is the Christian's duty and responsibility to bear fruit. Of course, in a humble dependence on the Spirit of God, right? This is not sure, uh, sure uh, willpower. But the second part of this verse is just so amazing. It, it, it's passive, 
meaning that the Christian is the recipient. And what is the Christian the recipient of? This growing, multiplying, increasing knowing of God. I don't even know if that made grammatically sense, but nevertheless, uh, I'm from South Africa. I make up English as I go along. But nevertheless, here's this increase in the knowledge of God, which is outside the Christian. This is God rewarding. This is a, a, a benefit that the Christian, that God bestows on the Christian. This is a result. And what is it a result of? It is a result of faithfully learning God's will and faithfully living God's will. And then you will get to know God in a deep and profound way. As John Piper once said, God will reward you with God. We get more of God. And, and just to give you maybe a, a, a deeper sense of this, you, you, you think of great Christians who, who know God in a profound way. You, you like Adoniram Judson or some of the Puritans, Amy Carmichael, John G. Patton. Charles Spurgeon. You're like, man, how do you know God this well? How do you have such a profound and deep understanding of God? How is it? And you will go back to two simple steps, two simple ways of living their lives. They know this book, and they know how to live this book in every circumstance of life, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. They learned how to trust God with obedience. By the way, this word here, increasing in the knowledge of God, that word knowledge is, 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 the, is, is the word epinosis. And, and it speaks of a, a real knowledge, a deep knowledge, a knowledge gained by experience. It is a complete, perfect, thorough, deep, profound, and precise knowledge of God. This is a knowledge that comes from God when there is faithful living and faithful learning. As F.F. Bruce, that British scholar of the 60s, said, Obedience to the work of God brings further knowledge of God himself. Wow, God somehow, we get to know God in a whole new way. Dear brothers and sisters, you, 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 you no doubt experience trials. I know you live in paradise here, but, but it, there, there's a lot of trials, right? There, there's a lot of trials to life, a lot of challenges, and you're like, oh, what is the right thing to do here? And you have any questions whether you should do the right thing? Do the right thing. Do what God wants you to do. And you know what? Your God will become bigger. Your God you will know deeper and more profoundly. 
you will somehow understand God in, a, in the same way that people like John Bunyan and Elizabeth Elliot experienced. But dear brothers and sisters, let us never forget that learning and living God's will is never separated from the gospel. Look at verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Would you agree that's the gospel in a nutshell? That's the gospel. Everything up to, up to now seems like, oh, I just need to do it. I just need to do it. And then God will reward me. But then just in case we forget, there's the gospel. There's the gospel. And North Dakota and Grand Forks, where I live, is a University of North Dakota. They have an aerospace program there. And a lot of people go there to get trained as pilots. And I got a little app here on my phone, and I see what's happening at the airfield. That, that thing runs day and night. They've got 200 planes running day and night. But I see these students. I watch them. They circle the airfield. That's all they do. When they go solo, they just circle the airfield. They don't go far. Because when they go far, they get scared. Because there's things like thunderstorms and winds and all crazy things up in the air. And so it is with us. It should be that way with us. We got to keep circling the cross of Calvary. Keep circling. Because dear brothers and sisters, where did it all begin? It all began at the cross. Your journey began the same as it is for everyone. Paul says you're, you were rescued from what? The domain of darkness. Everyone here, including me, has a dark past. We all begin in the kingdom of, or the domain of darkness. But then Christ comes into our lives and God the Father transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so in this journey, dear brother and sister, of learning God's will, doing God's will, and being rewarded with the knowledge of God, Keep reminding yourself who you were before Christ. This is not something you do on your own. Taking off from an airport is easy. Landing an airplane is hard, but more rewarding. Learning God's word is easy. It's easy to learn this. It's not complicated. Applying it is hard. But when we apply it in even the difficult circumstances of life and you see God come through for you and me, he becomes very big. And it's like we get to know God in a whole new way. Dear friend, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the time to give your life to him and receive the forgiveness of sins. Today is the day of salvation. 
you as a Christian, dear brother and sister, you may be cruising your airplane on autopilot. I'm just going from Sunday to Sunday, Bible study to Bible study, home fellowship group to home fellowship group, kind of in autopilot mode. There's going to be a time when God says, I'm going to turn off the autopilot. And what you've learned so far, you've got to learn to do and apply it and live it. And so, dear brothers and sisters, today, commit yourself to this applying what I've learned. Be intent on being a Christian that learns God's will, but also live out God's will. And as a reward, you will get to know God in a way that you never thought you could know him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love. I thank you, firstly, for this community of faithful believers. We are so delighted to see the the labors of those who came out here in 2010 to plant a church and just see the, the, the rewards on the, uh, on the faithful work that you've done here. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your uh, care for us. And we know that we can only do these things when we strengthen by your glorious might. And Lord, we, uh, we need you in this walk. We, we need you in the daily application of the word. We cannot do it in our own strength, as Paul says here. We, we can only be steadfast and stable Christians if, if you strengthen us. But we will also, as we learn more and do more, and we will become stable and more steadfast Christians because we know you. We know a very, very big God. And so, Lord, teach us to entrust our obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.